just a moment. I'm Joel Wayne, one of the pastors here. And uh, I did that last time. I said, happy Mother's Day, waiting for someone of a response, but I'm not a mother. So I need to wait till Father's Day, and I'll do that with you then. Um, but it's good to have you here and to be able to jump into God's word together. Um, even, I, I don't know about you guys, I'm amazed at the talent of the people who stand on this stage to lead us every week. Um, on Tuesday, I grabbed uh, Pastor Nathan, and I said, hey, I'm thinking that um, I want to do something like this. And if, when it comes to anything musical, he knows that when I say the word I, it means you. Um, and I said, I'm thinking about something like that. And he goes, oh, you mean something like this? And I said, yeah, do that. Um, and it's just remarkable to have such talent. And it's one of the ways God is blessing this church, bringing amazing gifts into this place as we continue to grow in Christ Jesus. Um, amen? Amen. Yeah. Absolutely wonderful. Um, we're jumping into a new series right now, and the name of it is Encounter. Uh, this is important for you to get, this part right here. That, this series is going to be vital for, I think, many of us, because when you read through the scriptures, what you find are a lot of different people who are encountering Jesus, but what we want to do is we want to look at how they respond to Jesus and really how their lives are transformed by Jesus. To really be able to examine that, to look at that, to consider that, because then we have the opportunity ourselves to be able to examine what our response is to our encounter of Jesus, and what does that look like for us? And are, are we allowing ourselves to be transformed? Part of it comes down, though, your response, your transformation in Christ Jesus, some of it comes down to um, how you view Jesus and who you see Jesus as already being. I'll give you an illustration. Maybe some of you are teachers, right? Uh, and if you're a teacher, you look at a student, maybe you've done this, especially as they get older, and you say, hey, I need everybody to go ahead and line up over here. And they say, why would I do that? And like, well, I need you to do that. I'm your teacher. Yeah, you're not my mom or you're not my dad. You, you know that type of attitude that can sometimes come out, right, that type of thing. Maybe someone asks you at work, hey, can you help me with this? And your first thought is, that's not my job. And, and you think about that. Someone else, the other day, there were some kids in our neighborhood. They came down the street. I'm like, hey, guys, would you put down my mulch? And they're like, are you going to pay us? I'm like, no, I just need you to help me out. They're like, no. And I was trying to get free labor, right? But they weren't going to do that because they weren't a part of our home. They didn't give me that type of authority in their life. So you need to ponder, you need to evaluate the authority, the voice that you've already given to Jesus in your life because that often determines your response to the encounter that you've had with him. If you don't give that voice much authority, if you don't really know why he came into this world, if you don't acknowledge why he came into this world, then you don't give that much authority, and so then you don't respond appropriately. So what I want to do, just to set us up for the coming couple of months as we're in this series, what I want to do is I want to give you a, a few of the passages that tell us why Christ came. Why did he come? And then what type of authority do you give to that understanding that he came for these reasons? So I'm going to call some of these passages, and you can write different things down there on your worship guide as we jump into this. First, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Luke 19, verse 10, and this is what it says. It says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. 
So we already know right there, it tells us that he came to seek and to save the lost, that we know also that we're all lost, that we are all sinners in the need of grace, in the need of forgiveness, and yet he came for that very reason. And so if you believe that, then you want to encounter that God and then to respond appropriately. Another passage would be 1 Timothy 1.15. 1 Timothy 1.15 says that the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance, that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. It's why he came. Once again, another passage that shows us that very thing. Um, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life life. One of the most well-known verses out there, John 3, 16. And it lets us know that here he is, here's God's son. And because God loved the world so much, he gave his son for us so that we might have eternal life. One more passage for you, Mark 10, 45. Mark 10, 45 says that for even the son of man came uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He came to pay the debt for us. So if you recognize why Christ came, if you recognize who he is, then that changes your response to the transformation that he has allowed for in your life. We speak about it often. If you've given him little authority, you have little response. If you have given him much authority in your life, you have great response. And so we get to examine those things. Um, Now, we're going to be in Mark chapter 5 today. I figured, hey, we're going to start a new series. I might as well start out with a demoniac. Um, And you're going to hear more and more about this. In Mark chapter 5, can I invite you to go ahead and open up to Mark 5? I'm not going to put a lot of the passages of Scripture up here because I want you to look them up. I want you to find them for yourself. If you need a Bible, uh, we've got those different places. Take it with you if you need one. If you have a friend who doesn't have one, take it to them. Uh, It's a a gift from us to you. Mark 5, if you have a Bible app, we don't care how you look at it, but we'd like you to go ahead and turn there to Mark 5 right now. Mark chapter 5. It's one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John there in the New Testament. And we need to be able to look at this. But before we go any further, this is what I want to do. I want to I give you a little bit of a backstory to what's happening. Why? Because uh, if you don't know, we have 66 books in the Bible. Also, with those 66 books, we have these things called chapters and verses. Now, the Council of Nicaea did a wonderful job between 330 and 350 um, coming up with these chapters and verses, and it helps us go to those places very easily and very quickly. But sometimes um, what that has done is it's cut certain stories up. It's chopped them into pieces, and we don't want to always do that because it's being told in this one beautiful picture of God's love. And so I want to go back just a little bit to Mark chapter 4 and what's been happening and what's been taking place just prior to this. So, But you're in Mark chapter 5, and I want to tell you a little bit about the story because here they are at the Sea of Galilee. Um, we know that they're there at the Sea of Galilee, and it's the story of Jesus calming a storm. This big windstorm comes up, and it starts throwing water into the boat, all these things happening. Sea of Galilee is a pretty good size. Uh, in fact, it's roughly the size of Grand Rapids. Uh, we've got a map, a really cool thing for you to be able to see, so you can see the size. The red is the highways, and you see 131 uh, right through the middle. That's Grand Rapids. And then the yellow, of course, is the Sea of Galilee. So you're looking at a 12 by 8 mile area. It's a pretty good size. Not quite Lake Michigan, but it, it's... It's big enough to put a boat on, right? It's a big place 
12 by 8 miles wide, and there they are, the biggest body of water in that region. Um, And they're out there together. It tells us in Mark chapter 4, evening comes, Jesus says to the disciples, let's go across to the other side. They get in a boat, not probably fully knowing everything that Jesus means or intends by that. I'll tell you why in just a moment. But here they are. They get in the boat together. And as they're leaving this crowd, they jump in the boat. Other boats are with them. And a great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat. I don't know about you guys. I I think about this, and I just think to myself, okay, wait a second here. Um, The water's coming into the boat. I'd be like using my hands. I'd be like just trying to throw it out. I'd be getting everybody. We know that the waves are big and the windstorm is large and all these things are happening. And of course, Jesus is at the stern of the boat. And what's he doing? Sleeping. Like, really? Wake up. Anybody married to one of those people who can sleep through absolutely anything? Raise your hand. And pray for that other person because it's inconsiderate. <laughs> right? I remember one of, the very, one of the first house I ever bought for myself. I was 25-ish, I guess. And I buy this house. And it was a, I thought it was a pretty nice house. One of the reasons I could afford it, though, is because it was right beside a railroad track. And I don't mean down the street from a railroad track. I mean, it was on top of the railroad track, like where the glasses were literally, you could hear them shake. And, you would, and I learned to sleep through absolutely anything. And it was beautiful because since that time, I had lots of kids. I've never woken up for one crying baby. Praise God. <laughs> My wife's like, don't you want to wake up? I'm like, uh, I, I, I just, I can sleep through anything. I'm, when I wake up, I'm full throttle. But when I crash, I'm out. And it's one of the great gifts that God has given to me, I think. And I look at it, and right now, here's Jesus, and there's a storm. The water's coming into the boat. The waves are crashing everywhere. The disciples are freaking out, and there's Jesus sleeping. Wake up. And that's what you want to tell the guy. And this is what tells us at the end of Mark chapter 4. It says, teacher, this is what they call out, don't you care that we're about to die? Now, here's Jesus' definition of cool. He gets up. And all we know this is, is he, he woke up, he rebuked the wind, and he said, peace, be still. And everything got calm. By the way, that often can be our lives. You feel like your life is crazy and chaotic and messed up. And then all of a sudden, as soon as Jesus steps into it, when you really don't, you don't give him a piece of it, you give him all of it, all of a sudden he steps into the picture, and guess what? Everything gets calmer. That's the power of Christ. Peace be still. And then he looks at the disciples and he says, why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? Why are you so afraid? Where's your faith? Well, these things are unfolding right before him. So this has just occurred. And now Jesus continues on 
in this journey. Now, the reason I think it's important, part of the reason I think it's important to tell you this is they're still learning who this guy really is. They're still learning because they say, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? They know that this guy is special, that he's a rabbi, and they're following him. They're wanting to learn from him. But this guy controls the waves and the sea. He controls the wind. Who is it? And they're grasping. They're processing all this. They're getting witness of this. And now all of a sudden, they're going to the other side of the lake. That's important because the other side of the lake meant they're going to the area of the garrisons where you don't go. These are Jewish guys, Jewish men who don't go to that area. They don't go to this region. And you're going to learn more and more why they don't go into that region. But throughout this journey, you know that these are people who are speaking up and they're, they're looking at Jesus and they're going, who is this guy and what is he about to do? And they probably feel like at this point, after all the waves have calmed, the, the waves, the, the wind, everything is going silent. They're going like, we feel like we're along for the ride, but there's nothing we can do about it. I remember, maybe this will help you understand. I remember when I was in college, I used to go camping a lot. My buddy had this old canoe, and it was a piece of junk canoe. Um, It was the first one ever built out of papyrus. Um, It was just horrible. Um, but he loved it, and he's like, man, I'm gonna, I love my canoe. It's amazing. And I'm like, man, they got these things now with motors. You need to try one out. But he brought the canoe. He's like, let's go down the river in this canoe. It'll be great. I'm like, man, you know a couple miles down, there's white water. And I'm not talking about a little bit. I'm like, It'll, it's going to mess us up. We can't do that. And he's like, no, there's a calming area right before that. We'll get out, get out and we'll have lunch and just chill out there. I'm like, all right, fine. Well, we finally get to that calm area, and all of a sudden, you can hear the white water in front of us. And I could tell by his posture, he was getting excited. I'm like, what are you doing, man? We got to paddle to the side. He's like, no, we, we can do it. I'm like, no, we can't. He's like, yeah, we can do it. I'm like, we will die. He's like, no, we got to try. I'm, and I, by then, it's too late. We're going. And what I would like to tell you at that moment is I became a professional canoeer-er. I, I don't know what that is, but I, I was a professional, and we were braving the rapids, and we are doing all these amazing things, but we did, and it didn't take us long at all. We had turned over. The canoe's, like, disappearing. We're going down on our backs, and, of course, back then, they didn't even have things called helmets. And so we're going down, and we're just drenched, and it's cold, and it's nasty, and I lost my lunch. And so I've never spoken to this guy since. Like that's what was occurring. And you know, you're, you're a part of it and you're going, please don't do this. And you know that he's about to do it. You know that he's about to do it. Well, I think these guys, the disciples are with Jesus. They're like, is he really going to go to the other side of the lake? Please no, please no, please no. He's going to the other side of the lake. He's going to the other, why is he doing this? Why is he doing this? And he's, he's taking them to the other side of the lake and it's important because now he's entering into a territory. He's entering to a region that they would never go into because they're not Jewish people over there. They're Gentiles. There are people who to them are pagans who, who are worshiping all types of God. They're certainly not monotheistic. They worship of one God. They're polytheistic and worshiping all types of gods and they're over there and they're going, it's unclean and they're entering a place that it tells us in this passage that is full of tombs. Well, that would symbolize and signify being unclean. And so they certainly wouldn't go to a place with all these tombs because of what it would signify in terms of being unclean. I mean, these are just some good old Jewish boys trying to live right and to follow a rabbi. And now all of a sudden they're being pulled in this direction. They're going, hold up. That's what's happening. 
And so it says they tells us in Mark chapter 5, they come to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs. That's a bad thing. A man with an unclean spirit, another bad thing for a Jewish guy. And this, this, it's like this is getting worse. First, I just almost died. Water's coming into the boat. Jesus wakes up and says, peace be still. I'm still kind of wigging out about that. Now he takes us to a territory full of tombs, which is unclean. And as soon as we get there, a man who we find out has nothing on but chains is running toward us, calling out, this is getting weird. This, this is what's unfolding it says, he lived among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with the chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he, he would just rip these chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among these tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. And it tells us that he saw Jesus from afar. He's not even up close. Here's a guy who'd never been here before. The disciples are with him. He just calmed down this massive windstorm. And this guy who's possessed with demons, we also learn his name is Legion because it would mean with many, that would be four to 6,000 troops typically, right? And so it says, what's your name? And later on, we find out Legion for there were many demons within him, right? And this guy sees him. The disciples are witness to all this. This is a fascinating story. They're witness to all this. And this guy sees Jesus from afar. And right away, he knows who he is. He at least knows that he's one with authority. And I sometimes question if we've given Jesus that type of authority in our own life. He recognized him, and so there he is. He sees him from afar, and it tells us that all of a sudden, he comes running toward him, and he falls down before him. He falls down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? He knew who he was. Possibly because of the demons with them. We know in James chapter 2, it says, even the demons believe. Uh, James chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. Even the demons believe and shudder. And now all these demons are within this man. And they see Jesus. They know that he is the son of the most high God. And they are scared to death. And they should be. Sometimes I question whether or not the demons give Jesus greater authority than we do. says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. For he was saying to them, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus says, what's your name? He says, legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. So there's a great herd of pigs. This is verse 11 and following. We know this is that big herd of pigs that are there on the hillside. And they begged him, send us into the pigs. Let us enter them. And so he gave them permission. And the unclean spirits, it says, came out, went to the pigs. And the pigs take off. And the herd does, numbering about 2,000. They rushed down this steep embankment into the sea and they drowned. 
This was the encounter that we find, Mark chapter 5, verse 1 through 13, 1 through 14, that we find this demoniac having with Jesus, the Son of God. This is the experience, the encounter that this person is having. And this is what he experienced very quickly is here's this man who was being tormented. He was being tormented. And yet Jesus freed him. Jesus liberated him. That's what Jesus does. Jesus liberates the tormented. That's what he does. And some of you are going, you know what I'm saying? I don't have demons in me. I don't have anything that, I can't relate to this story. We're all tormented by something at some point in our life. Some of you are being tormented by marriage right now. And it doesn't even matter what you say. You can't say it properly. You're like, oh, you look nice today. Oh, well, thanks for noticing. Right? Or you go, hey, you look nice today. And they go, why? You don't think I looked nice yesterday? And you, then you're like, oh, well, I don't even know what you wore yesterday. They're like, well, why didn't you notice yesterday what I wore? And you can't win? Anybody been there? Really, men, you're going to leave me all by myself on that note? And you go, wait, what, what's, what's happening here? So some, some of you are tormented in your marriage, and you really do. You're struggling with it. Some of you are tormented by work, and you're like, you, it's not that you dislike it. You detest it. You hate it, and you can't believe that you have to work there, and you don't see any reason that you're there in terms of even impacting people with the gospel or anything else, and you're going, I don't want anything to do with it. Some of you are tormented by finances, and you made some decisions that were bad decisions earlier, and you can't be, you, it doesn't seem like you can get out of them no matter what you're trying to do, and it just keeps lingering over you and lingering over you and every single time you start to get out of debt and that that chain is being released from your life something else happens someone is sick or or your roof falls in or whatever it is and it doesn't seem that you can get free from that some of you are being tormented by other things maybe by anxiety or suicide and if that's you please come tell us because we will do everything we can to fight with you we i'm telling you now we will some of you have other anxieties, and you're being tormented by maybe even a kid. You're like, man, I raised my kids. I thought to love the Lord, but one of them just is so mean, and they just keep um, resisting God, and, and they won't even come around anymore. Some of you are struggling with alcohol or drugs or maybe resentfulness. You're still angry about stuff that happened years and years ago, and you just need to let it go, but you can't. We're all being tormented by something. But let me tell you right now, if Jesus is able to go into the land of the Gerasenes and heal this man who isn't even Jewish and to do this miraculous work and to liberate him from what he's being tormented by, I, I promise you he can do the same for you. I promise you that he can do the same for you. But you need to know the authority to, to what you are giving to him. Are you giving him the authority in your life to do a miraculous work? Are you giving him that opportunity? And so this is the encounter, this demoniac with Jesus. But then what I want us to do, and we're going to be doing this every week, we're going to look at the encounter, and then we're going to look at the response, and then really the transformation, encounter, response, transformation that took place every single week. 
And here's a response. You have a couple of different responses here that are unfolding. One, you have the response of the person who actually encountered Jesus. They, they recognized who he was. And so what we have in verses 14 through 19, really, is this response. It says, all of a sudden, here comes, the, this is right after, here come 2,000 sheep. They jump off the cliff. They die. They drown. Herdsmen fled, told it in the city and the country. People came to see what had happened. They came to Jesus. They saw this demon-possessed man, the one who had been legion sitting there. All of a sudden, it says that he's clothed and, in, and he's in his right mind, which really means they don't recognize him anymore. Like, hold up. Is this the same guy? By the way, I think that's pre-knowing Christ, post-knowing Christ. You're such a different guy. People are like, are you really? Like, they know who you are, but like, you're different. Like, there's something different about you. Well, that's what's happening here. They come, they see him. He's clothed now, meaning he hadn't been clothed before except for the chains, the shackles, everything else. And also, um, he's in his right mind. And so because they see this, the herdsmen, they see this, and they hear everything that had taken place with the demon-possessed man and also the pigs. And so they began, here's their response, they began to beg Jesus to leave. Why? Because they saw Jesus. They did not necessarily encounter Jesus. They saw a man. They did not recognize that he was the son of God. And so they're begging him, please get out of here. Maybe because they just know they lost 2,000 pigs. Uh, um, and they're going, hang on a second here. What's going on? I, I don't want to lose 2,000 pigs. Like, hang on, that's our resource. That's our way of living. Maybe because they were just scared out of their mind. What just took place? What just happened? And so they respond by saying, begging Jesus, please get out of here. But here's how this man responds Listen to this. It tells us, and one of the parallel scriptures here is if you go to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, don't go there now. We're going to stay in Mark chapter 5. But Luke chapter 8 tells another version of the story and speaking about it. And they just work so well and beautifully together. And it tells us that this man was now sitting at the feet of Jesus. We find this man sitting at the feet of Jesus. Can I tell you what that means? It means that he was wanting to learn from him. He was transformed. He was truly encountering the Son of God. And so now all of a sudden, he's sitting at his feet and he's wanting to learn from him and to grow from him and to be able to be a part of his life. And it's phenomenal to be able to see because then if you go back to Mark chapter 5, it says he's getting in the boat. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him. Here's more begging begged him that he might be with him. He just wants to be with Jesus. He just got, his entire life was embraced and transformed by the Son of God, and he doesn't want to leave. Can I please stay with you? Can I, can I please stay with you? And so he's wanting that type of impact, but here's what Jesus says, and it's a, it's a remarkable response if you think about it. Because Jesus responds by saying no, and, and I'll get into that here in a second. He says no. I think part of the reason, though, he's saying no before you hear this passage is because here's this Gentile guy, and the Jewish world is not ready for this guy to jump on a boat with a bunch of Jewish guys and come back to the other side of the lake and be like, hey, guess what happened to me? I was full of thousands of demons, and Jesus freed me, and I know I'm Gentile, but let's all hang out and be merry and happy. It's like Michigan people hanging out with Michigan State people. It just doesn't work. 
right? He's like, wow. So he's wanting to be with Jesus, and he, but it says in verse 19, but he did not, Jesus did not permit him, and Jesus says to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on your life. Go proclaim, literally means go preach. And so he goes to the Decapolis, a 10 city region, this entire area, and he goes into that region and he begins to preach. That's what he says, go and proclaim. He encountered Jesus and then you couldn't shut him up because of what he had experienced and the saving power of Christ. And we see that unfold. Here are the disciples March chapter 4, the windstorm is there, and now all of a sudden they're on the other side of the lake. And Jesus encounters this man who sees him from afar. He runs up. This guy encounters him. Jesus says, you can't go with me right now, but I want you to go proclaim everything that you've experienced and what's happened to you throughout the region. The guy goes and does it, and I really think it's in preparation for the messianic, for the continuation of the messianic ministry that's to come. It's, it's so much fun. And so all of this is happening. And then they get back in the boat, they go back. Here's what I love. Jesus, some of you are going, you don't understand, God doesn't really care for me. God doesn't love me. God doesn't really care for me. Jesus just got on a boat, went to a region he's not supposed to be in to heal a demon-possessed man that everybody else had already written off and they had chained him, got back on the boat after he did a miraculous work and he went back to the other side. God absolutely adores you. If he's willing to do that for the tormented with demons on the other side of the lake, he's waiting to give you the same freedom to liberate you from anything that you've been tormented by. Now, that's some good news. That's what Jesus has just done. And so there's a transformation. If you look 18 through 20, he's getting in the boat. The man who had been possessed begs him, can I go with you? He says, no, I want you to go home and tell your friends, tell everybody how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And so he goes away and he begins to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Everybody was astonished at what they had heard. And so here's this man who goes and begins to preach. Here's a big question. What's your life preaching? Is your, what's your life preaching? Is your life preaching, I've encountered the Son of God? Is your life preaching, I've encountered Jesus? Is that what it's preaching? Because this man encountered the living God and everything changed and everybody looked at him and said, you know what, he's different. This is freaking us out. He used to be this guy who was demon possessed, but now he's radically changed. Is your story worth speaking? Is your story worth sharing? The people who aren't sharing about what Jesus has done in their lives are the ones who don't think that it's a story worth sharing. I want to share this one again. The people who aren't sharing about what Jesus has done in their lives 
are the ones who don't think it's a story worth sharing. Mm. And yet Jesus has done no less than cross the sea for you to calm a storm in order to be able to get there and to free you from anything that you are tormented by. And he did that by taking on death and conquering death, demolishing death, annihilating death, conquering death. He has done it for you. And so here's what we can really take home from this. Just a few quick things there. But I want to just conclude with this. And I, want, I want to challenge you with a few things. One, please process and understand that God loves us in our brokenness. Please hear this. You're thinking that it's just not worth it, Joel. You don't understand. I'm telling you now that if he's willing to do all this for a demon-possessed man, he's willing to do it for you as well. Praise God. That's good news. God loves you in your brokenness. Trust me, I know we are all really good um, at walking forward and putting on a certain face and living a certain way so that everybody here has a, everybody here has a perfect life, right? So we, that's what we try to communicate, and yet I know that none of us do. God loves you in your brokenness. Second thing is God's power is strong enough to deliver you. God's power is strong enough to deliver you. God's power is strong enough to deliver you. No matter the demons, no matter what is tormenting you, God's power is strong enough to deliver you. And then finally, God calls us to share our story of transformation. You always share what you think is worth sharing. And that's really the challenge that I have for you this week. God's doing a mighty work, and he's wanting to do a mighty work in your life. And as you encounter him, as you encounter him, I'm asking you that this week you share what God is doing in your life with someone else. We always speak about a couple of things here. Right? If you really want to be able to engage someone in conversation, say, hey, how can I pray for you right now? We always ask that question. We always talk about two questions. Hey, how can I pray for you right now? Nobody's ever said, oh, you don't need to pray for me. And even if they have said that, then they go, but if you do, right? Or you can say, hey, man, can I tell you what God's doing in my life right now? Like, I'm the guy, you do not want to sit by me on an airplane. I have to get on an airplane on Wednesday. I already feel bad for that person. Because <laughs> I'm going to be like, hey, man. They're going to be like, what? I'm like, can I, can I tell you what God's doing in my life? And they never say no, so I'm like, oh, this is going to be good. Can I challenge you to share what God is doing in your life? And maybe your story looks a little different. Maybe you weren't in the tombs and shackles, but you feel like that metaphorically, figuratively speaking. You feel like you've been in shackles, but then you encounter the living God and all of a sudden the chains fall off and you recognize that there's freedom in Christ. That's a story worth sharing. Amen. 
you share what you think is worth sharing. Here's something worth sharing. Jesus Christ brings life. That's worth sharing. And if you feel like you're the one being beaten down and tormented, I'm telling you, we will fight with you. I've never been around people better to fight with than the ones right here. We will fight with you. We will get on our hands and our knees and we will call out to God and we will stand with you and we will fight. And then at the end of the day, we will praise God because we will see our God. He will be victorious. He will be victorious. Encounter that God. Live with that God. Lord, I come before you and I ask that we each encounter you, the living God, that we will no longer be held captive by the, the things that we are often tormented by, but we would let, recognize that you love us, even in our brokenness, that your power, your strength is strong enough to deliver us and that we will share that story of victory and salvation, of transformation to everybody in this community as we celebrate who you are. You are a God of love, a God of power, and we give you thanks. Amen. May we stand and worship that God today.